0: thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc.
1: Well, this morning we have the privilege of welcoming Larry Barker to share the word with us today. And um, I really appreciate the fact that at Mercy Hill Church, this is not a church where ministry is done by the quote-unquote professionals. That no matter where you are, no matter what, where you've been, how old you are, Larry's a young guy, and he's going to bring God's word for us. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to have a certain position in the church. You don't have to make so much money. You don't, none of those things. God can speak through any one of us because we all have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us as believers, and that qualifies us for ministry. Now, it may not be from the front, but it could be in a a myriad of different things, and so we appreciate the fact that we can open God's Word together and have some 25-year-old guy bring God's Word to us because it's not just for, like I said, just the older people, but God speaks through each one of us, and I appreciate the fact that Mercy Hill is a place where we are eager and willing to receive from anybody and really hear God's word and bring it to ourselves. So can we just um, bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord just to continue to speak through us, to speak through Larry this morning, and, and his word would would impact our lives. So Lord Jesus, thank you today, Lord, for this, the, the fact that the state would, would come to the churches and ask for prayer. God, we do pray that you would raise up more um, parents and families willing to foster in this church. Lord, we pray that you would protect those kids. God, we pray for this church this morning as we open your word. God, that your word would continue to bear fruit, would continue to give life, would continue to speak to us, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our ears. And God, that you would just anoint Larry to to continue to declare your word that we so desperately need to hear this morning. So God, thank you for Larry's willingness. Thank you for his, uh, the time that he's put in, and I pray, God, that you would help us to have ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Johnny. Um, well, he's right. It's definitely not based on the amount of money you make, or else neither of us would be up here. This also marks my first time preaching in a pink shirt, so let me know how it goes. Um, it's a big big deal for me, big step. Um, honestly, guys, I love being up here. I love getting to share with you guys um, just what I believe the Lord's put on my heart. Um, this morning is going to be a fun one. Um, who, who read the chapter in the story this week? If you did, you know it's like half the New Testament. Um, so there's a lot of ground that gets covered in this week's chapter. Uh, let me just explain the story, though. Um, if you're new here, we've been going through a series called The Story. It's a 31-week um, basically overview of the entire Bible. Um, so it traces kind of the big picture story of what happens throughout the Bible. Um, there's this special um, chronological um, story Bible, storybook. Um, and so we'll be, we'll be teaching out of that this morning. Um, but we're getting to the end of this story. So it's 31 weeks. This is week 29. Um, we're almost there. Um, like I said, we cover a lot of ground uh, today. But before we dive in, I want to just recap um, where we've come from, how we've gotten to this point. Um, and so if you've, if you've been here all along, this will just be a refresher. But if, if you're new, if you're only going to come in a couple of weeks, hopefully this will help to kind of give some context to uh, what we hear this morning. So you remember a couple different things we've heard throughout the story. Um, first off, God is the creator of all things. We saw back at the beginning, God created all things. Um, the earth, the universe, um, land and sea, birds, fish, animals, uh, but at the the pinnacle of c- his creation was men and women, uh, made in God's image, uh, made uh, to be more like him, to reflect him in a way that was different than the rest of creation. Um, and men and women were told to take care of creation. Uh, God said, go, f- go out and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Um, we were meant to be caretakers of God's creation, meant to um, honor him in the way we, we relate to him, and we relate to creation, and relate to one another, and uh, that was our, our task from the beginning, was to fill the earth so that all the earth would show um, God's glory and would uh, just be this beautiful uh, picture of God's glory. However, we've also seen that um, we fail. Uh, we, we failed in the mission we were given. We've all chosen to rebel. We've chosen to try to do things our own way. Um, to try to push God off of the throne and and take over and be the the king ourselves or the queen ourselves and and dictate what's right and what's wrong and and what we can do and what we can can and can't do. Um, So we've seen that all humans rebel. We're all broken. And because of that, um, brokenness and death and pain has entered into the world. So this creation that we were meant to care for, this world we were meant to um, take care of and uh, just, uh, yeah, take care of, It's brokenness has entered in, pain has entered in, and we all know that sickness and pain and death, um, these are all brutal, serious parts of life, uh, things that we wish weren't so, uh, but they've come about as a result of our our choosing to push God aside and do our own thing. Um, However, in spite of our rebellion and our brokenness, we've also seen this incredible fact that God loves us. God loves people, and he he started a, a plan, a rescue mission um, to undo all of the, the brokenness that we have caused. Um, he, he's initiated this mission to bring people back to himself, um, also to bring healing to um, our relationships with one another, uh, to reconcile our relationship with him, to um, bring healing to the world itself, um, to a point where death and pain and sickness will be no more, where, where the curse will be totally undone. And it's incredible. Um, and then really, we saw that the way God did that is through one man. He, he called out one man named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Um, all the nations are going to be blessed through you and through your offspring. Um, and really, the, the bulk of this story traces uh, Abraham and his offspring. Uh, they become the, the nation, the people of Israel. Um, and then through Israel comes uh, finally, after years and years of ups and downs and highs and lows, Comes the promised Savior, that the rescuer appears on the scene, and his name is Jesus. And he he appears, and he is um, God in taking on human flesh, and he he lives a perfect life. But we saw uh, the last couple weeks um, he was betrayed. Um, though his he he did miracles, and he was a teacher, and uh, crowds followed him and loved him. Eventually, he was seen as a threat, and he was betrayed, and he laid down his life um, for people. Uh, he, he took upon himself the sin of the world, the guilt and the shame uh, that we all bear. And he stood in our place and he received God's punishment for that. Um, but even better, we saw that three days after that, Jesus took his life back up. Um, death had no hold on him. It could not keep him down. And so Jesus takes his life up in the resurrection. Uh, and he, he starts, it's the dawn of a new day. He starts a new era where um, the, the curse has been undone. It's, it's being undone. Uh, in Jesus. It's the age of resurrection. We live in the age of new life and new birth, and that's incredible. Um, but then last week, we saw this crazy thing that uh, I'm sure the disciples didn't see coming. Jesus leaves town. Jesus goes back up into heaven, and he, he leaves his, his followers with a mission. He says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey me, teach them to follow me. Um, he says in Acts one eight. Uh, He says, power is going to come on you from on high and you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem to Judea, Judea, Samaria and out to the ends of the earth. So Jesus leaves, but he sends his Holy Spirit upon his people uh, to complete the mission, to take the good news of what's happened in his life and his death and his resurrection and to to take that news out to the ends of the earth. Um, So that is like a five minute recap of what we've covered for the last 29 weeks. I realize it's probably not quite enough. Um, but we've got to understand that uh, because at the point we're at, and Jesus gave his followers this task, and we're going to jump in today, and we're going to see followers of Jesus sent out to go do that, to go tell the story of what has happened, of uh, our brokenness, and of God's plan to heal all things and to bring reconciliation. So if we don't get that background, what we're going to hear today makes no sense at all. Why would these people uh, give up so much and travel across the world and face suffering and persecution? Uh, why would they do that? Um, they do it because this is real. They do it because this isn't just a story, but it's, it's the proclamation of an event that has occurred. Um, so before anything else, before I get too excited, um, let's jump in. And uh, if you've got this story book, you can pull up uh, page 407. Um, also Acts chapter 13, if you just have a uh, regular Bible. Uh, And we're just going to read the first paragraph of this chapter to give us a little bit of context. Um, This chapter is going to follow, for the most part, a guy named Paul, um, also known as Saul. Um, If you're familiar with the Bible, you know who the Apostle Paul is. He wrote about half the New Testament. Um, But this This chapter follows Paul's life, his travels, his journeys, and the mission that God gave him. And we also see snippets in the chapter of different letters that he wrote to churches. So, page 407 of the story, chapter 29, or Acts 13. This is how it starts out. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So you'll remember, if if you were here last week, um, the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus' followers, and they begin to testify to who Jesus is, to what he had done. Um, the, and the church is really born. Thousands of people come to believe in Jesus. And there's this incredible community that forms where they're sharing everything. They're selling land and giving the money uh, to those who are in need. And there's this incredible community. Uh, but we were reminded last week that they kind of got stuck in Jerusalem. Um, they weren't going out onto all the earth like Jesus had commanded. They were stuck in one place, um, keeping the, the benefits, keeping the rewards of that community to themselves. Um, what happens, though, is that persecution comes, and everything, everyone scatters. So uh, a man named Stephen is killed. That sets it all off. And then, boom, the church scatters out um, from Jerusalem into the surrounding area and countries. Um, so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, begins to spread out and go further and further. That's one way that, that the gospel spreads, that God uses to advance his word, is through um, major events like that, even through persecution. Um, God, God moves the gospel around to different places in the world and different peoples. Uh, but here with Saul or Paul, we see something really different, where instead of some major event happening that affects a lot of people, God specifically says, you two, you two are going on this mission. Set you two aside um, because I have a specific mission for you. I'm going to send you to certain places to bear witness to me. And so that's that's different. Um wh- Acts is a great book. Um, Most of this chapter comes out of the biblical book of Acts. Um, It's a great book, but for us, sometimes it can be a little bit hard to relate to. It's it's awesome because we see the the birth of the church. We see normal people um, filled with the power of God and doing miracles and testifying to who Jesus is. Uh, But most of it follows Paul, who's this incredible missionary living his life on the road, facing persecution um, that's not reality for most of us. Um, we're a lot more like the churches that Paul planted. Our, our lives resemble um, the, the churches that Paul wrote to a lot more than they actually resemble Paul's life. So, Acts, we get a great glimpse um, of uh, how the church was born, how the church grew and expanded. Um, but it's really in Paul's letters, especially, that we see. Um, things that are really applicable to where we're at, to, to the lives we tend to live. Now, I'm praying that God would grab the hold of some of us and send us out to countries and nations and places, uh, just like he did with the Apostle Paul. Uh, but right now, um, that's not the case for most of us. So with that in mind, I just want to spend the rest of our time really focusing on three truths. Um, they're truths that we see throughout Paul's journeys and his travels. Uh, in his own life, we see these. Um, But we also see them in the letters that he writes to the churches. There are things he's reminding the churches about, things that um, followers of Jesus need to get. get, They've got to grasp in order to um, be fruitful, in order to uh, honor the Lord, in order to see the gospel go forward. So the first one of those um, is this: the gospel never changes. The gospel never changes. That word gospel, if you're not familiar with it, it comes from a, a Greek word, which it's literally good news. Um, and when we think about that, the, the good news never changes. That should almost go without saying. News doesn't change. Um, think about CNN or whatever your chosen news source is. Nowadays, we have lots of editorials, right, which are basically people giving their opinions about the news how things got this way or, or why things shouldn't be this way and how things should change. But the reality is that when there's a big news story, um, it's, it's just a straight headline. Um, if you watched the news yesterday or today, you saw about this earthquake in Nepal. Um, massive earthquake, 7.8 magnitude, I think. Um, over 1,000 people dead. Incredible devastation. It, it's horrible. Um, but there's not all these conflicting... Uh, opinions and, and editorials about what's happened. That could come someday but right now, everywhere you look the headline is just, earthquake in Nepal. Earthquake in Nepal. and So that's news and, and, and that's not going to change, even though people might have different opinions of how the response could be better, how they could have avoided it and all these things. News doesn't change. It's, it's the proclamation of something that's happened. Um, Adam and Mary White are not here. They had a baby a couple weeks ago. That's I think, April 10th. That's not going to change. A year from now, we won't be saying, no, they didn't have a baby. Or, like, we don't change things that have happened in the past. So, in some sense, that goes without saying. But here's, here's what I mean, or here's why it's important. The gospel is the good news about what God has done. It's the good news about um, Jesus bringing the kingdom of God a new day. It's about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection being a, a way that... Um, Men and women like us can be forgiven of our sin, um, have our shame taken away, be brought back to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And, and we can talk about it in a number of different ways, right? We can say we were all addicts to, to self. We were all addicts to sin and we were powerless, but God set us free in Jesus. We could say we were all um, shameful rebels who were like, you know, bratty little kids who just wanted our own way. Um, But in Jesus, God has made a way for us to be forgiven and to be made right. We could say that we were enemies of God, but now we're friends and family of God. Uh, We could say it in a number of different ways, but it all anchors on the events that happen in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's incredible news. It's incredible news that although I am guilty and I've chosen to go my own way, God would enter into the world and he would take my guilt upon himself. It's incredible. And if if this is the first time you're hearing it, if you are um, new and this is unfamiliar to you, let me urge you, Jesus is good. Man, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. It's not too late. You haven't gone too far. There's still hope. The gospel is good news because in Jesus, there's, there's hope, and there's life, and there's forgiveness, and there's renewal. The gospel's good news. So why would we need to be reminded that the good news never changes? Why would we want to change this news? Because there's always this temptation to, to change it, to just you know, slightly tweak it so that it's not quite as harsh. Because there are hard realities. In order for, to, to believe this message about Jesus, you've got to be able to acknowledge man, I've messed up. I've done things wrong. I, I don't have my act together. I'm, I'm flawed. I'm sinful. In um, Christians, if, if you're here, there's always that temptation to soften it, to change it. Um, Paul saw this actually a, a lot in his life. If you've got your storybook, flipped to page 427. Uh, we'll see something that Paul constantly did um, throughout his travels. Uh, this is a letter that he wrote to um, one of the churches that he helped plant. Uh, It's also 1 Corinthians 15, if you've got just a regular Bible. Uh, But this is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What I received I passed on to you of first importance." That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Constantly throughout his life, throughout his travels, in all his letters, he keeps going back to Jesus. He keeps reminding the people of Jesus. He keeps taking them back to the reality of Jesus' life and death and resurrection because that is the core. That is the foundation. There's, there's things that we can disagree on and it's okay. You, even amongst Christians, even amongst family, there's things we can disagree on, things that aren't so critical or aren't so important. And, and in those areas, let's disagree with love. Let's disagree charitably. Right? Let's Let's disagree in love, but there's certain things that we have to cling to that are not up for negotiation. And this is one. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Savior. That's why Paul keeps reminding everyone he comes across of the gospel because we tend to forget. We tend to to tweak it or to soften it. Uh, We don't want people to disagree. We don't want to speak something that is so good yet also so hard. And so we, we tend to soften the blow. And so Paul's constantly reminding us, The gospel is the good news about what has happened in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So that's the first thing. Um, The gospel never changes in church. We've got to remember that. For our good, for for the good of those around us, um, for for the good of the world, we've got to remember that. Number two, the gospel provokes opposition. If Paul's life testifies to one thing, um, that's going to be a contender right there. Um, The gospel provokes opposition. Uh, I'm not going to read it. I'm just kind of going to paraphrase it. But uh, pages 412 and 413 in in the Story Bible um, talk about Paul's time in a city of Philippi. Um, Philippi is a a major city in the the region of Macedonia. Paul and his team go there, uh, begin to preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus and what's happened. And some people respond. Um, there, there's fruit. People begin to believe in Jesus. Uh, but other people aren't so happy. Um, the story talks about how there was a, a girl who uh, was demon-possessed, and she could tell the future. And eventually, Paul um, said, in Jesus' name, like, get out of here. Uh, and the demon left her, and then she was back in her right mind. She was, she was normal. She couldn't tell the future anymore. And her owners were upset because that means they lost all the money they would have made from her, her fortune-telling gift. Um, So throughout all this, the the effect, what happens is that Paul and Barnabas get dragged before a court. They get stripped and beaten and mocked, um, and they get thrown in jail overnight. Um, God sends an earthquake, and the doors of the jail open, and the chains break off. Uh, It's incredible, Um, but there's this opposition that happens. And everywhere Paul goes, that's the story. Um, there's, there are people who oppose the message. There's people who, who don't want to hear, people who don't believe. Um, there's, wh- why is that? Why is that? The, the gospel message, uh, it confronts a lot of different things. It, it confronts uh, personal issues. It confronts my pride, honestly. That's something I'm constantly battling, because I think I'm great. Um, but the gospel confronts that, and it says, Larry, you are not great. God had to die so that you could be made right. God had to die so you could be forgiven. Um, the gospel confronts uh, our selfishness and our um, just obsession with ourself and with comfort and with pleasure and all these things. Uh, it also confronts cultural values. Things like uh, individualism here in America, we we tend to think we can just do what we want for ourselves, it's not going to affect anyone, no one should really have a say on what I can do, the gospel confronts that. The gospel says you are not a lone ranger. You are are made to live in a community with people, and you are made to serve other people, and your life uh, affects other people. Um, So it confronts cultural values like that. Um, and, And so for these reasons, and also just for spiritual reasons, the gospel produces opposition. Where, where there is a real enemy. There is an, an enemy who doesn't want people to hear about Jesus, who doesn't want people to find life, but wants to keep them blinded and, and cut off from the goodness of God. And, and so for all these reasons and more, there there is opposition that happens when the gospel is preached. Guys, here in America, I think a lot of us, or a lot of Christians, feel that right now. We're beginning to face opposition, feel like we're we're maligned, or we're kind of being pushed aside, uh, we're, we're ignored. Um, maybe that's true. Right? Maybe that's happening. I'm not going to get into a political debate or anything, but maybe that's happening. The thing is, if it is, it shouldn't surprise us. Um, we, we were warned about it. Um, Jesus himself told his followers um, that um, if we follow him, persecution will come. Opposition will arise. He said... If you want to follow me, you're going to have to count the cost. You're going to have to consider the, the cost and the, the, uh, the things that's going to cost you. Um, so, so maybe that happens, but we shouldn't be surprised. Um, even across the world, we, we see all sorts of opposition. We see persecution. We see um, people being killed because they, they love Jesus. Um, we see it happening. Opposition is real, um, but God is in control even over that opposition. And I bring this up to us because it's so important for us to get if we're to endure. Right? It's the reason that trees can withstand massive storms is because before the storms came, the roots had a chance to go down real deep. It, It it anchors them. We we've got to recognize that eventually the gospel produces opposition, so that if it ever does come, we're ready for it. We we stand firm. We're confident. Uh, in what has happened, and what Jesus has done, and in who Jesus is. We've got to get that. God can even use suffering or opposition to, to further his purposes, to, to transform us, um, to further the gospel. Paul wrote in Romans 5, uh, one of his letters to the church in Rome, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul says he rejoices in suffering because God uses that suffering to transform who he is, who who we are as people, as a community. um, Suffering or opposition, God can even use those things. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. So, number one, the gospel never changes. Number two, the gospel produces opposition. Number three is this, the gospel bears fruit. The gospel bears fruit. One of the things that's totally clear from Paul's life is that the gospel produces opposition. He faced it wherever he went. But the other thing that's perfectly clear as well is that the gospel changes and transforms people and transforms communities and cities. The gospel bears fruit. He wrote to the church in Colossae um, this. It's Colossians 1, five. Uh, it's not in the story, um, but this is what he writes, and I just love it. Uh, the gospel, he, this is his introduction to them. He says, The gospel which has come to you is indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It also does so among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. and truth. Guys, like I said, a lot of times I think or right now here in America, a lot of us feel um, kind of down about the church or down about the gospel. And things are changing. The world is uncertain. Um, we see things on the news that I think can cause us to despair sometimes about um, what's happening uh, to the church and to Christianity and, and things. But do you know that th- through the Spirit, the gospel is still bearing fruit today? Like Paul says, in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing. Guys, even here in America and in Europe, where a lot of people say the church was dying out, statistics show that there's still slow growth. It's, it's slower than it's been in the past, but but there's growth. There's people hearing the good news of God and, and, and the grace of God in Jesus And they're responding. They're finding life and finding hope and finding family and love and forgiveness. Um, Get this crazy statistic. In the last 15 years, the African church has seen a 51% increase. That means in Africa, on average, 33,000 people every day are coming to believe in Jesus or they're being born into Christian families where they're they're counted as Christian in the census. 33,000 people a day The gospel is exploding. The church is exploding. Or there's this. Get this. China is on pace to become the country in the world with the most Christians by 2025. Forty years ago, Mao tried to remove religion completely from China. He was determined to crush it. Um, Ten years from now, there might be more Christians in China than any other country in the world. The gospel is bearing fruit, even in spite of opposition. The gospel's bearing fruit, and, and no one can stop it, because God's behind it. And what does this fruit look like? It looks like people finding hope, finding forgiveness in Jesus? Absolutely. People guilty people um, finding freedom in Jesus. Um, it also looks like this: people in the name of Jesus standing up against injustice, standing up against child abuse, um, praying and working to see that ended. Um, standing up against human trafficking and war and poverty. Um, These are fruits of the gospel in society. Uh, As as we consider the truth of Jesus and live our lives in light of of Jesus, society is transformed as people take a stand on the gospel. Right now in the Middle East, we talk about opposition. We hear horrific stories coming out of the Middle East with, with ISIS and um, different groups like that, um, who are not just killing Christians, but they're um, killing and slaughtering and torturing um, all sorts of people, uh, but uh, specifically Christians, for, for not uh, turning away from Jesus. It's brutal. It's, it's just evil. Um, but when we listen closely and when we, when we listen for stories from people in the Middle East, people who've experienced this, um, we also hear that there's a new openness to the gospel in the Middle East because of the atrocities, because of the brutality. Um, Many Muslims are, they they can't believe what's being done in the name of Islam. And and so there's a new openness to the good news of Jesus. This is just fascinating. Last statistic, I promise. Um, In the first 1,400 years after Muhammad died, um, so Muhammad died in 500 to 600 A.D., um, f- the first 1,400 years after that, there were 10 movements of Muslims to Christ. A movement counts as like at least a 1,000 people um, turning to Jesus like in, a, in one area around the same time. So there were 10 in 1,400 years. In the last 15 years, since, since the year 2000, there have been over 60 of these movements in the Muslim world. So there is a, there's a new openness to the gospel. The gospel is bearing fruit. People are hearing about Jesus and finding hope and finding life. Guys, it's awesome. I want to ask us, though, how's the gospel bearing fruit in our lives? Where is the gospel bearing fruit? Do we have eyes to see the gospel bearing fruit in our lives? Because it, the gospel bearing fruit looks like people, new people finding hope in Jesus, but it also looks like a life of obedience to Jesus, a life submitted to to Jesus and living the way that Jesus says we should live. So let me ask husbands, because of what Jesus has done, are, are you loving your, lives in the way that, loving your wives in the way that Christ loves the church? Are you laying your lives down for your wives? Because that's gospel fruit. Um, are you honoring your wives with the things that you look at and think about and talk about? That's gospel fruit. Do we see that in our lives? Um, men at work... Are you giving it your all since Jesus is Lord? Are are, are you giving it your all to honor him as as you're working for the Lord, not for men? Um, Or are you the guy who sits around and slacks off when the boss isn't looking, um, just happy you're getting a paycheck and you don't really want to do much? It's gospel fruit when we give ourselves to that, when we um, live our entire lives in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Mothers, in light of the good news that Jesus brings us into God's family, In that God disciplines us in love, are you disciplining your kids in a way that they know you're not angry with them? You love them and you cherish them and you do it for their good. Are you doing that? Um, Single men and women, in light of the fact that Jesus is Lord, how are you spending your time? How are you spending the money and the resources or the freedoms that you might have as you're single? That's gospel fruit when we, when we give those things to, to the purposes of Jesus. And then kids, I know most of our kids are downstairs, but there's some of the older ones in here still. Are you guys obeying your parents in a way that pictures for people how the church obeys Jesus? Because that's gospel fruit. You guys aren't excluded from that. The way that you obey your parents can, can picture for a world um, how the church responds to Jesus, our, our Lord. We've got to expect this gospel fruit, and we need to celebrate when we see it. Because I, I know it's here. I know it's in our midst. I hear stories, and I see it in people's lives. But we've got to celebrate these things, because what it is is the gospel-bearing fruit. It, as we consider Jesus, and as we live our lives in light of Jesus, our own hearts are transformed. The way that we interact with our spouses, and our families, and our kids, and uh, our coworkers and every area is transformed. So we've got to look for this, and we've got to encourage it. We've got to provoke it out of people, uh, and we've got to celebrate when it happens, because the gospel is meant to bear fruit. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. So friends, let's let's take heart. Let's be encouraged, because the gospel is growing. The gospel is bearing fruit. It's advancing in all the world. And it's, it's advancing, it's taking deeper root in our own lives. And let's, let's pray for eyes to see where that fruit is coming from and then celebrate it. Throw parties, man, throw parties. You see the gospel bearing fruit in someone's life, make a big deal about it. We need that. I know for me, I don't tend to see where God's at work in my life. I, I tend to um, gloss over that because I'm so acquainted with the areas I'm weak, the areas I struggle in. If you see it, celebrate it in people. People need to know. People need to, to take heart in that. God is at work. The gospel's bearing fruit. So guys, just in closing here, um, the gospel never changes. The gospel produces oppos- opposition. And the gospel bears fruit. We should expect the gospel to provoke some opposition at times. We should be prepared for that. We should be confident in in what Christ has done and in who he is. Um, Even more, we should expect the gospel to bear fruit. It's like a seed that you plant in the ground and it's got life inside of it. You put it in the right circumstances and it bears fruit. Expect the gospel to bear fruit. And ultimately, let's give thanks for both. In in times of feast, in times of famine, and in times of opposition, times of fruitfulness let's give thanks because whatever the situation, Jesus is Lord. He is King. He is the Savior and he is good. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will bear fruit in our lives, continue to bear fruit in the world. Um, And I'm going to pray that God will keep us faithful to, to live our lives in light of this good news. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. God, we are so grateful for how you love us, even though at times we can be very unlovable. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way you have, uh, in Jesus, forgiven our sin, and you've brought us back into your family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives of gospel faithfulness, that our lives would be marked by uh, the, the reality of Jesus Christ uh, dead and resurrected, Um, that our lives would be different because of who Jesus is and what he's done. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to endure in times of opposition. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to endure and to stand strong in a way that honors Jesus and isn't combative, isn't uh, argumentative, but is is meek and is loving and is caring and is humble. And God, I pray that our lives would be marked by more and more gospel fruit. God, I pray that you would give us victory in areas where we've been struggling. God, I pray in areas where we feel without hope that you would renew that hope within us. God, I pray that we would see our lives, our families, our friends, our community change because of the reality that Jesus has died and he has resurrected and he is now the risen Lord. We pray it all in his name and for his glory.